What I want to talk about a little bit this evening comes from the idea here. He says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Have you ever known anyone that just seemed like from the time they were young, they were making good choices? They're making good decisions. And, you know, it just happens that when they make good choices, it just seems like things just work out for them. You know? Things just seem to fall in place for these people. And then there's the other people, you know, that just from the time they're very young, it just seems like they make bad choice after bad choice, bad decision after bad decision. And just seems like when the, you think maybe things will get turned around, they have problems that just they didn't foresee just come upon them and and just their whole life is headed that that direction what i want to talk about is how you and i can choose a life of excellence now when you go to a funeral and i've preached quite a few funerals in my life sometimes you really have to struggle to find good things to say about people that's just the honest truth. Sometimes I'm called on to do a funeral for somebody that was just a scoundrel their whole life. Their family doesn't love them. In fact, I've seen situations where people were relieved they were dead. But you got to do a funeral. I've seen other situations where people have such grief over broken relationships. I can remember vividly standing beside a, few, a casket one time at a funeral and this boy had, I mean, he'd just gone and he'd wasted his substance and riotous living. And his dad had been there and been faithful. And this boy, you know, and I say boy, he was probably my age, a little older. He was probably close to 50 when this happened. He tried to climb in that casket with his daddy. It was too late. He couldn't fix things. They were gone. And then there's people that when it comes time for their funeral, I mean, there may be a lot of people there, may not be a whole lot of people there, but, but there's, there's sadness. But you know, it's not sadness like, like there are at these other funerals. I mean, people are sad, but, but they know this guy, I'm going to tell you, this guy or this lady, she lived a life of excellence. And you don't have time to tell all the good things there are to tell about that person. I mean, they were a great mom and a great sister and a great wife and a great worker in the church and good in the community and they just had all these... They just lived a life of excellence. I want to tell you that I am convinced that living a life of excellence can start at any point in your life. But it's much better if you start when you're young. The wise man who wrote those words said, remember your Creator in the days of your youth while you're young, while you got vitality and energy and vigor and joy for life. And remember your Creator. Don't forget Him when you're young. Because if you forget Him when you're young, there's going to be a lot of your life that you won't be able to do anything about. 
Now, if you're in that situation as we talk about this tonight, I'm going to tell you, don't spend your life in regret over your failures in the past. You can't, you can't change those. You can't fix that. All you can do is start right now and begin serving Him and living a life of excellence. But what I want to talk about is primarily going to aim to the younger people tonight a little bit. And I want to talk about some choices or decisions that you make that can fundamentally affect the rest of your life. Not can, but will. It says, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other, and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now this is a little excerpt from a story in Genesis chapter 13. And the story is, God has told Abraham to leave Ur and get away, and he's going to tell him where to stop. And he leads him through Haran and eventually over to the land of Canaan. And he's here in Canaan, and he brought Lot, who was his nephew. And you know what? Abraham was a sheik. You know what a sheik is? You know, the Arabs that have all the headgear and they have tents and they travel and have all the herds and stuff and they just move around through the desert. That's what Abraham was. He was a sheik. And that's what Lot was. And they had tremendous wealth. I mean, they had lots of animals. And up in the mountains, you know, the grass wasn't that good and their herdsmen were fighting over who was going to get the best grass. And Abraham sees this and he calls Lot and he says, he says, this is not going to work. I mean, look at us. We're God's people. We're the only ones who know God in all of this area. And we're fighting. We can't do that. And there's not enough grass up here for all of us. So I tell you what, you go one way and whatever way you go, I'm going to go the other way. And Lot looked out. And he looked down and there was a big valley and down at the bottom of the valley there was a lot of green pasture land and there were a couple of cities. And he looked toward that and he said, you know, I'm going to go that way. And he did. And I want you to know if you're not familiar with the story that would seem like a good decision on the surface. You take your flocks where there's lots of grass and there's, there's civilization and there's people and that would seem like a good choice. But it wasn't. It was a terrible choice. It was a choice that led Lot into a life where he was, he was kidnapped and he was tortured and taken advantage of. Here's a little map that shows you basically where he was and if you can see on the map there, that little arrow, that's where he was. That's where this place was. But it was wicked. This land of Sodom that he went towards, it was a wicked, wicked, wicked place. It was terrible. He ended up in war and kidnapped. He ended up oppressed and tormented by the ungodly people. In fact, the Bible talks about how wicked Sodom was. And it says that it vexed his righteous soul. You know what that means? That means he hated every minute of it. He was miserable. You know what it ended up costing him? All of his kids, except two. It ended up costing him his wife, all of his flocks and all of his possessions. 
He lost all of it. Because his choice was a wrong choice. It was a bad choice. You know, all of life is based on choices that we make. I believe, I do not believe Calvinism is true. I believe we have freedom of choice, free will. And I believe God holds me accountable for the decisions and choices that I make. And I believe those decisions and choices that I make will affect my life. I believe we talked about consequences. We talked about cause and effect. We talked about cumulative effect. I believe that stuff is true. And I believe if I make bad, ungodly, unrighteous choices... I will pay consequences for that someday. And if I pay or make good, righteous, godly choices, I will reap the rewards for that someday. If you look at this, you look at all these choices that we've got up here on the board, what would happen if you take one of those choices and you see how they all fit together good? PowerPoint did that, I didn't. But you see they all fit together and it works real well, right? What happens though if you take one of those choices out? It's not a good choice anymore. Can you see what would happen to that thing? That whole thing's going to fall over. That whole thing's going to be affected. Not just the one simple choice that's made. Uh-oh. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. This is Moses speaking. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You know, not only will the choices you make affect you, but the choices you make are going to affect people that you will never know. People who will be born generations after you. Children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. Your choices will affect a lot of people. And those choices are what we're talking about this evening. How can we make these righteous choices? Well, what are some of these basic choices? Choice number one. What's going to be your relationship with Jesus Christ? You have to choose that. I've known people that have told me, well, you know, I'm just not ready to make a decision about that. Yes, you are. You're making a decision about that when you say that. You choose what your relationship with Jesus Christ is. Have you ever noticed, I can remember back in school, there were the cool kids, and then there were the kids that were the dorks. The kids that, is that a word y'all use anymore? Y'all call kids dorks? I don't know. Uh, I'm showing how my age here. But there were the kids that anyone could be their friend but nobody really wanted to be their friend, you know? I mean, they were friendly, and they would come sit down next to you, and you'd go, hey, yeah, how are you today? Well, catch you later! (laughs) And then you were on your way. And then there were the cool kids, and to them, you might have been one of the dorks. (laughs) And you'd go and try to be friends, and, and they'd go, hey, well, good to see you, catch you later. You know, you can give your friendship to whoever you choose to give your friendship to. Right? You can choose that. Jesus Christ has come to you. And He sat down beside you and He's offered you His friendship. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, but I call you my friends. Right? Jesus has offered you 
that friendship. Now, you don't have to take it. It's completely up to you. There were people in school I chose to be friends with and people I chose not to be friends with. But if you choose not to be his friend, it's because of a choice that you made. You know, Joshua told the people of Israel one time, he said, you choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, sometimes I meet people, talk to people, and I ask them about their history and all, especially around churches when I hold meetings and all. And I say, well, tell me about your background. They go, well, I was raised in the church. You ever said that or heard that? No, you weren't. You might have been raised by Christian people, but you weren't raised in the church. If you're a Christian today, it's because that's a choice you made. I can introduce you to lots of people who were raised in Christian homes who don't serve God. Nobody goes to heaven because they happen to be born into a family that taught the truth or believed the truth. Nobody goes to heaven for that reason. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got in this audience families, right? I look over here and I see Sean. Sean's not going to go to heaven or hell based on what David does. Zane is not going to go to heaven or hell based on what Sean does or based on what David does. And I don't know how many generations back you can track, trace the church in your family, but your relationship with Jesus Christ is yours. It's not anyone else's, you see. Choose you this day. Have you chosen to follow Jesus Christ? Have you made that decision or that choice for you? Have you said, you know, I personally, I am going to follow Jesus Christ? I hope so. It's one of the most fundamental things you can choose. You know, in life, we can look at our lives like this and you can put your family at the center of your life. Lots of people do that. Lots of people put the family, their family at the center of their world and whatever we do family-wise is most important. Some people, especially young people, put their friends at the center of their life, don't they? I mean, whatever my friends are doing is what I'm doing and we stand or fall together as friends. Some people put their career at the center of their life. You know, that's the most important thing in the world to them is their career and achieving and moving forward and accomplishing things in their career. And, you know, some people, it's sports. We could put all kinds of things in the middle of this circle, couldn't we? But you know as well as I do that the way the circle should be is like this. Jesus Christ needs to be the center of your circle. Next in priority would be your family. Next in priority after that would be other people. And then after that, all the peripheral things of life, like your career and your sports and those things. Have you ever known anyone that put their job in front of their family? Have you known anyone that did that? How'd that work out? Doesn't work out too well, does it? No. It doesn't matter what your job is, it doesn't go in front of your family. I know people who put their job in front of their family. I know people put their job in front of God. I know people who put their family in front of God. That doesn't work for Jesus Christ to be the center of your life. He has got to be more important to you than everything else. And you can make that decision while you're very, very young. You can decide while you're a very young person. Say, you know what? I'm going to serve Jesus with my life. Regardless of where I go, job-wise or 
or, or where I live and things like that, I am going to put Jesus Christ number one and central in my life. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh-oh, there we go. I hit the wrong button. Have you chosen to serve God? I hope so. At the end of this lesson, I'm going to offer an invitation. And if you haven't chosen to serve God, this will be your opportunity tonight to stand up and say, I'm making this choice and make that publicly. The next thing I want to mention that is an important decision you're going to make is a decision about choosing a spouse. Choosing who you're going to marry. How do you make that decision? You know, some people get married to their childhood sweetheart. And it's someone that they've just met when they were very young and they were around and they always just clicked and, you know, it just that's the way it always was. Other people like me, I didn't do that. I didn't get to know Carrie until I was 25, 26 years old. And uh, I didn't marry until I was 27. How do you make a good choice? Well, I want to give you several suggestions or thoughts. Number one, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That was in the very beginning when God created man. And He said, the truth is, it is not good for man to be alone. So, young men, if you're not married, it's not good for you to be alone. You need to be seeking a wife. That's God's original plan. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's God's plan for you to get married and have a family. I understand that in America that's getting less and less common. Uh, I say the relationship. Um, people just getting married is less and less common nowadays. Lots of people nowadays don't ever bother to get married. They just live together. That's not God's plan. You need to find someone and you need to commit to them for life. That's not the topic of our sermon tonight, so we won't go into a lot of that. But he says this, I will that the younger women marry, bear children, and guide the house. I teach at this private Christian school and uh, almost all of my kids, their families, their parents are pastors in churches or you know, on staff at some church. A lot of them, their parents started churches there in the Dallas area. And they're very devout and very committed and very Jesus-loving kind of people. They are. There's a lot of things they don't understand and don't know. But one of the things that's real common in them is they want to do the will of God. And they ask me, they talk, we, they talk about it all the time, you know, I just think it's God's will for me to go to college at this school. Or I think it's God's will for me to go on that mission trip. Or, or I'm trying to find out if it's God's will for me to follow this certain career path. We talk about that in class. And when I teach the New Testament, and we talk about this, uh, the book of 1 Timothy here, we talk about what he says here. You know what God's will is for you? If you're a young lady, His will is for you to get married and have kids and guide the house. Somebody says, yeah, but you know, this is such a wicked world. Man, it's just, I just can't imagine what it would be like to raise kids in a world like this. I tell you what we don't need is for all the Christians to quit having kids. <laughs> That's the last thing this world needs. 
We need you to raise up mighty children to God. This is the will of God. So how do you go about finding this person? Well, number one, you need to choose a godly spouse. That is the most important decision you can make. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. You want rottenness in your bones? Choose an ungodly spouse. Choose a godly spouse. You need to choose someone who is, has a heart for God. Who is spiritually minded. Who is turned toward God. You don't want someone who's not a Christian. You don't want someone who has no commitment to Jesus Christ. I talked to a, a lady one time that uh, when she was young, she... Uh, she, she was raised in a Christian home, and she said, what I wanted was a Christian that didn't act like a Christian. She said, you know, those Christians are so boring. All those Christian guys were boring. They didn't like to go party and have fun, you know. They were just boring. And I wanted a Christian guy who didn't act like a Christian. And you know what she got? A Christian guy who didn't act like a Christian. And as she was telling me this story, she said, when we got home from our honeymoon, I sat in my driveway in the car and I cried. Because I just ruined my life. Can you imagine? It's what she did. I'm happy to tell you they've stuck it out. They've stuck it together and he's become more godly through the years. But it has been a battle. It has been a fight. It's been a struggle and a constant heartache. Because her choice was not to find someone who loved God more than her, but somebody who was fun. I want to tell you, you need to find someone who loves God. How do you do that? I have, we've got some young folks at the church there at Denton that are going, well, there just don't seem to be any Christian guys. Or there just don't seem to be any Christian girls. Or, yeah, there are. You need to be proactive. You need to go out and visit with and talk to and, and find someone who is a Christian. The Bible says a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Young ladies, if you want a Christian guy... Go to the meetings and meet them and talk to them and smile at them when they say hi instead of going, standing over at the wall. Be friendly. Talk to them, young men. They may laugh at you. You'll get over it. You'll live. It's not going to kill you. It may hurt your pride, but it won't kill you. Be friendly to the young ladies. Specifically, the young ladies who are godly young ladies. Specifically the young ladies who you can tell by the way they dress and by the way they act and by the things they say that they have an interest in God. Girls, look for a young man that's righteous. That you're not going to have to drag to church. That you're not going to have to fight with him to get the family to church. That that's important to him. He wants that and he will help you. And He will bring you into that. Be proactive in reaching out for that. Look for someone who is a peacemaker and be a peacemaker, it's, be a peacemaker yourself. You know, my father told me about marriage. He said, a good marriage is the closest thing there is to heaven on earth. 
I believe that. And a bad marriage is the closest thing there is to hell on earth. And I believe that too. Now most marriages fall somewhere in between, don't they? But the truth is, if you will find someone who's a peacemaker, your life is going to be a whole lot better in your marriage. There's some people that just want to argue about everything. They're technical. And anything you say that's not technically exactly right, they're going to correct you and they're going to straighten you out and they're going to argue to death about... And I'm going to tell you something. That may be cool for a while, but it gets old. Ask my wife. Because <laughs> I've tended to be that way sometimes. Find a peacemaker. And more important than that, be a peacemaker. Don't try to straighten out everything about everyone around you. Especially about your spouse. Just be someone who seeks and makes peace. The Bible says if it is possible as much as depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. I have never seen it better to seek conflict than to seek peace. And when you go to look for a spouse, look for someone who is easy to get along with. Another thing is look for someone with some similarity to you and get to know them and don't expect to change them after you're married. That's what this girl that I was telling you about thought. She wanted a guy who wasn't boring, who'd go out and party and stuff, and she thought, once we're married, you know, I can change him in the ways that, that he needs to be changed in. And, and that does not work. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man who saw a woman and he fell deeply in love with that woman. I mean, he was crazy about her. She was beautiful. And he just, oh, she was just the angel of his eye. And he, he went to her father. and She fell madly in love with him too. And he went to her father and he said, I want to marry your daughter. And he said, sure, no problem. Just work for me for seven years first. Really? <laughs> the Bible says that it seemed as but a day for the love that he had for her. That seven years just seemed like a day because he loved her so much. And he went and he got married and I don't know what their custom was. I don't know if she wore a big veil over her face. I don't, maybe, maybe they all got drunk at the way. I don't know. What I do know is when he woke up the next morning and rolled over, laying in that bed next to him was her sister instead of her. He'd married the wrong woman. He married somebody he didn't think he was marrying. Listen, that happens. Maybe not end up married to her sister, but that happens. You marry someone... If you don't know them very well, you may end up married to somebody very different than you think you're marrying. You need to take time and get to know them. Spend time with them, with your family. And spend time with them, with their family. See them in all kinds of situations. I heard a guy the other day said, what you need to do before you marry them is take them somewhere and let them use a really slow internet connection so you can find out what they're really like. Get to know them. It takes time to get to know someone. And look for similarity. I say, if they hate all the food that you love, and they hate the music that you love, and they hate the entertainment that you love, and they're a goer and doer, and you're a sitter and enjoyer, 
That may be fun for a little bit, but I'm telling you, that's going to get old. It's going to get old if they never want to do what you want to do. If the rest of your life, your vacations are this, are we going to sit at the hotel and read a book by the pool? Or are we going to go and do stuff all day long? That's going to get old. Look for Now, I'm not saying that stuff can't be overcome. You can overcome those things with godly love. But it just makes it more difficult. Finding a spouse is a job, and it's a job you need to do. When we go to Nigeria, we talk to the people over there. It's a little different. Ty always laughs about when we went over there, and Amy, his daughter, went with us, and somebody offered him three goats <laughs> for his daughter. He said, well, I don't know. That's tempting, but... <laughs> Over there, you've got to have a big dowry if you're a young man you want to get married. I mean, it takes you years to save up the kind of money necessary to get married. Over here, it doesn't take a big dowry. But it does take you doing something other than just sitting in your chair and sitting in your basement playing your video games. I mean, it just takes more than that. You've got to look where you're going to find godly people and you've got to seek and be open to that. Another thing you need to know is you marry the family. You may think you don't, but you do. You marry the family. You don't just marry them. Listen, they love their family. You may think they're scoundrels, and you may not like them at all, but they love their family. And you're not going to marry... It's, this isn't the days of the little house on the prairie where she gets on the wagon with them, and they wave bye to Ma, and you never see them again. They've got an electronic leash called a cell phone and they can talk 10 hours a day with mama. I mean, you marry the family. You need to know that. Get to know her family or his family. What kind of people are they? Your grandchildren will grow up calling them grandma and grandpa. Or your children will grow up calling them grandma and grandpa. And they'll have influence on your kids. You need to pay attention to those kinds of things. Those are very important, serious things. And finally, you need to make yourself a godly spouse. When my parents had their 40th wedding anniversary, we all got together and my dad said, my dad's a preacher, he tends to preach, and he gathered us all, all the kids and the grandkids and everybody in there, and he said, I've got some things I want to tell you. And he started talking about the, the person that you marry is going to have more influence on your happiness and on your righteousness and on whether you're a godly person and how you enjoy your life and on and on and on and on about all this stuff. And we're all going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he got to the end and I thought what he was going to say was, so all you grandkids, you pay attention to who you marry. You know what he said? He said, so you need to know that the kind of person you are is going to ruin or make their life. So you be the kind of person that is going to make their life. You be the kind of young man who will lead your home with courage and determination and godliness. Listen, I know video games are fun, but video games will not make your life any better in the long run. You need to lead your home. You need to support your family. You need to be engaged with and a part of the things that happen in your family. A man is supposed to lead his home. Young ladies, you need to keep yourself pure morally. Young men do too. Save yourself for your spouse. 
You need to do that. The, the Bible is plain, and I tell you, you may think you're just having fun, but you're not. You're hurting the person that you're going to marry someday. Look at this verse. Talking about the virtuous woman, it says, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Not just the days they're married, but all the days of her life. Don't let yourself begin habits and patterns and behaviors that are going to cause harm to the person you marry. Learn things that will make you a good wife or a good husband. That will make you a good parent, a good mother or a good father. And intentionally learn those things so that you can be a blessing to that person and to the family of that person instead of being a heartache and a curse. Next thing I want to mention is friends. Choosing your friends. We've already talked about this some, so we won't spend a lot of time on this, but Proverbs says this, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. I told parents the other day, I said, you need to help your kids make good friends. You need to choose their friends for them because they'll make bad decisions. Most of us, you know how we choose our friends? whoever's in our class or whoever works with us, right? That's the way most people choose their friends. That's not what God says to do. God says that you should choose your friends carefully. So what you need to do in your life according to this, and this is not just to young people, but it is to young people, is you look around and you look for young people who are excellent, Young people who have a standard of excellence in their life. Young people whose greatest joy is to do good and righteousness instead of young people who are interested in having fun and getting in trouble. And when you do that and you choose those kinds of friends, you won't have this problem of being led astray by the friends that you choose. They won't lead you away. The Apostle Paul said this, Be ye followers of me even as... I also am of Christ. When I was, oh, 15, 16 years old, we had, uh, my father as an evangelist went around and preached, and there was a young man who wanted to learn to preach. He wanted to do some preaching. His name's Danny Logan. Some of y'all may know Danny. And uh, Danny came and lived with us. He lived in our home, stayed with us, and Danny became my big brother, so to speak. He was four or five years older than me. And I mean, we became tight friends, the best of friends. And you know, I haven't been around Danny a lot as an adult. You know, once I grew up, he went his way and I went mine. And the last few years, we've gotten to where we spend time together and see each other again. But the things that I got out of that friendship that relationship. I mean, we studied the Bible because he was studying with my dad. He wanted to be a preacher. We talked about the Bible all the time. And we debated and we discussed. And, we, and I, he, you know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And I want you to know that a whole lot of what I know about God's Word and my ability to preach came from my friendship with Danny and the influence that he had on me at that time in my life. Now, I, was, I didn't wisely choose Danny as a friend. I, I don't want you to think that. But I'm telling you, from my life, he's a friend who had a great impact and influence on me. The last thing I want to mention here in this list tonight for young folks is the career that you decide to follow. You know, 
I have a son who is 17 years old. Now, I'm a preacher. I knew from the time I was five years old I was going to preach. I never, re- I never had that discussion, that debate in my head about what am I going to do with my life, except for about, I don't know, four or five days when a, a state trooper came and talked to our school when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And I thought for a little while that'd be cool to have guns and walk around and arrest people. But other than that little week or so a time, I was always going to be a preacher. I just always knew that. Most people don't. I've got a son who's 17. He doesn't know. I've got a daughter who's in nursing school that I didn't think would ever decide what she was going to do career-wise. When you go to choose a career, when you go to think about a career, that can make or break the rest of your life. It can make a big difference. And I'm going to tell you, when you go to make a choice about what you're going to do with your life, you've got to first ask yourself how it's going to impact your relationship with God. I know people that I grew up with who have had better jobs as far as income-wise. They've made a lot more money than I have. But to get that money, they've had to move off to Timbuktu somewhere where there were no churches anywhere around that did what we believe is right. And what they did is they would either compromise and go and become a part of a church that does things that they didn't believe were right, or they'd just drop out altogether. Neither one of those are good choices. Now I know it may not be possible for you to choose a job that will let you be at every assembly of the church every time it happens. I realize that may happen. But you do have some choices. You do have the ability to look at the things that are available to you and how they will impact your Christianity. The Bible says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. When you go to choose a career, yes, you need to support your family, but you don't choose a career based on getting rich. In fact, Jesus said, It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is a poor man. It's a decided disadvantage to be wealthy if you're trying to follow Christ. That's a disadvantage to you. Don't seek that. When you go to seek a career, number one, seek something that you can honor God while you do. Number two, seek something that you can be of service or help to your fellow man. Because you know what the greatest two commands are? You remember them, don't you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The things that you choose to do. Let me give you an example of something that I didn't like, so I didn't learn, and I've regretted for years. And that's working on a car. Okay, I understand we've got some guys here that are really good mechanics. Not me. I mean, I just don't. But... The times, I've got a friend of home who is a good mechanic. And what it really struck me is he is always helping people in the church with their vehicles. He's always helping people. You know, if they call me, you know what I say? Hey, let me get you Kalen's number. Because <laughs> I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. 
learned skills, learns things that, and he's made a good living with that. He's not wealthy, but he's made a good living because he learned something that was of benefit to himself and other people. And now he's able to use that, not just to support his family, to do something he enjoys and has a natural aptitude for, but he's also able to use that to bless the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Some of y'all may have known Tex Monk. Tex Monk was an elder in the church in Gunner, Texas. And Tex was a mechanic. And Tex had a mechanic shop. And you know, as a young preacher, I was poor as a church mouse. I didn't have two nickels to rub together hardly. And Tex told me, he said, you know what, Michael? If you'll just keep that car, I'll keep it running for you. And you know what? He did. He kept that old thing running. I got 330,000 miles out of a Ford Tempo. And it was still running when I finally got rid. You know why? Because he helped me. He took care of it. When you look for a career, don't go seeking how you can make lots of money. Go seeking how you can serve God and serve other people. And if you'll do that, your career path will take care of itself. You'll be able to do the things you need to do to support your family. Solomon said this, he said, the best thing there is in this life, and he tried everything. He said, the very best thing there is in this life is for you to work hard and you to enjoy what you earn with your, your family. So that's the best you're going to get. And you know what? That's going to happen whether you live in a little bitty place or you live in some place that's big and fancy. You can work hard and enjoy what you like and enjoy what you earn with your family. So we've looked at these things here. We've looked at being making a choice to serve God. We've looked at choosing a family, choosing friends, and choosing a career. All of these are decisions and choices that you make. And as we end the lesson here tonight, I want to ask you to just look at this list. Is there something on that list that you need to work on? Is there something on that list you've got out of, out of order? You've got your priorities wrong? You're seeking maybe a career in front of a family? Whatever you're doing that's not according... And you may look at that list and go, man, I appreciate this lesson because I'm doing all of that and hallelujah, I hope so. But maybe you're looking at it going, yeah, you know, I, I could fix some things. That's what I want to ask you to do tonight. I want to ask you to look at your life. I want to ask you to decide right now that you're going to find a godly spouse. You're going to do what it takes to find someone who's godly. And you together are going to serve the Lord. I want you to decide right now that you're going to determine for a career that you're going to do something that will bless other people instead of something that will just fill your pockets with gold. And I want you... Most of all, to decide tonight, you know what? For the rest of my life, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do what God asks me to do. No matter what the cost, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how long the road, I'm going to serve God more than I serve myself or my family or anyone else. Jesus Christ said, if you love your father or mother or your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or your children or even yourself more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. And so we end where we began with this commitment to Jesus Christ.